0: Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 65, Tales from the Road and New Adventures, recorded on March 26th, 2017. My name is Julie Fayfan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good today. How are you? I am hating that it is like the fifth day of spring, and I am still cold, and my heat's still turned up. And, you know, what happened? What happened?
1: When it's 100 this summer,
0: yes, then you'll I think will. back with fondness. <laughs> I will think back of fondness. I'll be like, oh, I miss those days. It's true. I'm never satisfied. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm just an unhappy complainer. A black Um, pit of need. And and actually, you know, the other thing is like, I was thinking, so I was in Tampa recently and it was when the huge snowstorm was here and it was cold for Tampa. So I I had packed a bathing suit and flip-flops and instead I ended up in like a coat and jeans, you know, because it was like in the fifties and sixties in Tampa. Well, in the meantime, Wah. I know you guys got like 18 inches. And so I was thinking the whole time I was like, I can't really complain, but I kind of feel like I want to complain, you know, and I think you did. And I think I did complain. And then I think you pretty much said a a less, Wah. a less clean version of go F yourself, shall we say anyway. Uh, So, yeah. So, Tampa, I was there for HSN to sell the Scan and Cut. A couple interesting things that happened that have never happened before. Ooh. I know. So, that's always exciting, right? So, the first is I went to some on-air training. And the funny thing is when you audition, it's not really an audition. When you get sent to be on HSN and they are auditioning you and trying you out, the quote-unquote training is – really really minimal they kind of give you like an a lecture with some questions and then they have you try out a couple things and then you're kind of done and it was uh in my memory I was kind of like wow these people are crazy they're gonna let me on tv with no (laughs) with no training um so this is actually a program they've started to kind of try to address that a little and I was skeptical when I went in. I did not go as a good student with my, you know, heart and mind open. Bad attitude. I know, because I and I would say I would say I'm not sure that I was skeptical so much as I was feeling defensive when I yeah. went in. I was feeling That's like I was I was like worried that they were gonna rip me apart and be like, these are all the reasons you suck. Um but in the end, the thing that was really exciting about it is that I learned a lot about marketing. Do you want to share some of that? I do want to share some of that. That's why I brought it up. So one of the really important distinctions that I actually had a hard time understanding at first was the difference between a feature and a benefit. And before I even tell you why that's important, and it is important, uh, the f- uh, let's see if i can explain this as well as it was explained to me a feature is something that a manufacturer puts in the box it's just it's something you can touch a benefit is something intangible that you get out of it so as an f- example um so a feature of my toaster oven is the toast button the benefit is that if I want to toast something, I don't have to set the oven dial and do a temperature. I just push it. It's one button and done. Toast. That sounds incredibly exciting. Well, don't you want to buy my toaster oven now?
1: I'm gonna just come over and take <laughs> there it. There you go. Uh,
0: that's well. That I, that's so. I don't want to advertise to any thieves that I have an awesome toaster oven, but I'm just saying. Um, but so. having to think about the scan and cut in those terms because I think I often go straight to benefits when I'm on the show demonstrating the machine partially because I'm an end user and I think if you're not an end user of a product it's easier to kind of go through the steps because you're not thinking about how you would use it but I immediately am like, oh, I want to do this with this and you can do this with this and I want to show you how to do this with this and I want to do, you know, my brain is pinging around about it Um, But uh, the instructor was like, you have to slow down. He also said that several times. I know that I talk very fast. He's not the first person to tell me that I talk very rapidly. Right now, I'm actually in my mind saying talk more slowly, and yet I can hear that I'm still talking quickly, and I cannot stop myself. This sounds like I should be lying down to have this conversation, but anyway. um, Runaway train. (laughs) I like to talk. I, I talk fast. Anyway. So the thing is, uh, thinking about the scanning cut this way, I realize that I talk too much about benefits without helping people to understand what this thing is, you know. So then they're just having to trust me on face value when I say, like, it slices, it dices, it, you know, does your laundry or whatever that I need to go through, you know, because it has a touch screen – It doesn't require a computer. It doesn't require, you know, anything additional. Because it has a scanner, it doesn't require cartridges. It doesn't require a computer. It doesn't require anything else. So that instead of just saying you don't need a computer or whatever, you have to explain to people why this machine is different. And it's because of those features that you get the benefits. but then the other problem, which the trainer did agree with me, which is a problem, is that the scan and cut actually does so much that you can spend an hour talking about it, you know, and not run out of new things to talk about. And so the problem was, how do you narrow it down into an 18 minute, if you're lucky, presentation?
1: Which gets to partly why you speak so quickly. Which totally on the show. gets
0: to why I speak so quickly. Because I'm so, I'm just trying to get through what I need to say, trying to get through. And so. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about this question, which is... Actually, really, okay. I'm gonna. T- I mean, this is gonna be like the most long-winded story. But hey, you guys are listening to the podcast anyway. You're along for the ride. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> You're trapped in this car with me. Uh, so uh, yesterday at my quilt guild, I went to this class that was about uh, learning how to critique quilts. And this woman had brought in some pieces to share. And she had said, for her, they were really all about the techniques. Blah 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 blah. And the thing is. When I looked at them, and this is not something I said to her, so I really hope she doesn't listen to the podcast, uh, I personally did not find them aesthetically pleasing. I found the techniques intriguing and interesting because I'm a technique junkie too, but I did not necessarily find them aesthetically pleasing to my eye. Um, And I was thinking a lot about whether when you look at something you know, do you care about the techniques that were used? Which actually made me think of, I, had an, uh, I have a piece in an exhibit right now at the Mosesian Center for the Arts in Watertown. And uh, it's one of my rotating repeat stamps. And I did stamp it so that you could tell that one piece was separate, but I have some questions because I'm so close to it about whether somebody who doesn't understand the printing technique would understand how I did it and then I have some questions about does it matter? Shouldn't it be aesthetically pleasing on its own without any knowledge of the technique? Or is the technique the only impressive thing about it? So then it's performance art because it needs to be a video of me printing for it to be something that's interesting. Okay, so how this loops back into the scan and cut, eventually, I knew. See, I told you it was a long journey, but oh, we're getting I knew there. Get um, is that I was thinking, like, is it better? To show like a hundred thousand techniques that the scanning cut can do, or is it better in a short period of time to be like, here are the three things you need to know, understanding that there's so much more that you're just not going to get to, but to really cover those three things, you know, I I don't know the answer. Do you have an opinion? Right, and
1: I would say that all the auxiliary videos that you make that are on your YouTube channel are part of the reason uh, that you do that is because there are so many additional things. But when you're selling a machine, you're talking to someone who doesn't have one.
0: Right. And so that's, that, but you are, but you, I mean, it's so interesting. So I know existing users tune in because they want to see what they can do with their machine. But then again, uh, my job, I suppose, is not to serve them. It's to serve the new customer who doesn't well, have one Well, maybe you should yet. think
1: about every time you go on HSN to do this, you throw in one new thing. You have a basic wrap, and then you do one new thing or something. I don't know. But, I mean, I think it's always, in selling, it's always a question because... It is. If you don't have one, you need to know what it does. If you already have one, your question may be much more individual and personalized and less understandable to someone who doesn't even have the machine.
0: Yes, and also, here's an also... I wonder if uh, – like, okay, so one of the things that the Quill critique woman was saying is uh, she was saying, you know, you should be able to look at your piece and there should be nothing there that if you took it away, uh, it wouldn't be missed, meaning everything there should have a reason. And there should also be nothing missing, right? Is that that perfect balance? Um, and I was thinking – That Yes, that's about something aesthetically looking at it art-wise. But it's also – that is the same thing is true about a presentation or a sales pitch or anything. Or a play or a a movie or anything. I mean, that's sort of the magic moment, right? And it's just – it's so hard to achieve. So now I have a life goal, which is someday, should I be lucky enough to keep selling scan cuts I will finally one time hit that perfect balance of the perfect pitch – and then, I, and sell and then a billion. I will just drop the mic and leave the building forever.
1: This is a worthy goal. I think the more <laughs> exciting thing is that while you were there, you got to go to the HSN, what is it called? Emporium? Oh,
0: mom. It's the Emplorium. Because oh, Emplorium.
1: Employees. I get it. So tell about that.
0: So the HSN Emporium is where they have basically um, things that were used on air that are used. They have also um, – companies have to provide samples of all their items. So when they're no longer on air, they go to the Emporium. So they're for sale often at cost or even cheaper than cost. So, for example, there's one rack which I just vulturized. Can that be a word? <laughs> I descended upon, and it is the famous $5 rack. So this $5 rack of clothes is everything that models wore on the show. They can't in any way right, be returned, sold, yada, 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 because they're worn, they're used. So they're $5. Um, So they're all uh, in sample sizes, right? The good news is the plus size sample size is like a 1X, which essentially is a woman's 16, 18, something like that. So the good news is I fit into all of those. So it's my first time fitting into sample sizes. So that was exciting. So I got a pair of black uh, pants. I got a pair of black, I I call them leather leggings because that's what the label says, but I'm pretty sure they're made out of like plastic bags. I mean, it's pleather, clearly. They're not real leather for $5. Um, And I got uh, a puffy vest with a big collar. And I got a black kimono jacket. So all of that cost me $20. And then I totally splurged you guys because I got two pairs of shoes for $30. And I was a little mad. I was like, should I really be paying $15 for shoes after I was able to get two pairs of pants and a kimono jacket for $15? And doesn't that seem a little spendy and ridiculous and indulgent? And we were laughing with the woman at the cash register because there were wallets up there. Really, you know, nice, probably actual leather wallets for 20 bucks And I was like, I can't pay $20 for this? And she said, wait till you try <laughs> to shop real retail once you work here. It's impossible, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. So, so only HSN employees can go. So
0: only HSN employees can go, and the only reason on-air guests can go is if you get an Emporium pass, which is like a like lucky, lovely thing. So I don't even get to go every time or anything like that. So it was Woo! nice to be able to go, but uh, it did make my suitcase overweight. But who's complaining? <laughs> Who, indeed? Um, The problem is you can't wear three pairs of shoes. That's what really, like, killed me. You can wear, like, four sweaters on the plane, but you can't actually wear – I mean – Mitten. These are these are my mitten shoes. These are my <laughs> hip shoes. I'm not sure how that works. Could be like a little booster seat shoes. Anyway, but um, so that was really fun. And then flew from Tampa to Chicago. This was the first long road trip I've been on in a little while. I've actually been lucky and been going on mostly short trips. But this was a good old ten dayer. Um and so went to Chicago for the International uh Housewares show. I think we discussed briefly on the last podcast
1: that the scan and cut for some reason is a houseware.
0: Yes, it is a houseware, just like a sewing machine is a houseware. Um and so a couple things to note. One is the international label on the houseware show is completely apt there were i got to practice all the languages in which i know how to say thank you and it's mm. limited so don't be too impressed but you know because there were there were people from you know china from japan from germany from a million different spanish speaking countries south america you know spain from portugal from People from Italy, people from France, people from all over the U.S., people from, you know, Trinidad. Like, I learned all sorts of things in the brother booth. Do we have a rep who covers Trinidad and Tobago? There's a woman here from Trinidad and Tobago who's wondering. Yes, it turns out we do. You know, there were. it was very international, and that was fascinating, Um, just to see what people liked. The houseware show itself, I got to see almost none of. But... You know that is not a big deal, but what I did see was in the hall we were in, which was like small electronics. It's it's in the like plug it in area, so it's. um, Yeah, I saw
1: you were across the aisle from the Nespresso. Yeah,
0: so we had Nespresso. There were a million different kinds of um, coffee makers, Bodum. Um, all sorts of stuff. There were, uh, what are those, like those heat lamps, you know, that hotels install and businesses install outside yeah. on like patios, you know, to keep you warm. Yeah. Right. Right. There were fans of all kinds. And by the way, it was so cold in the exhibit, ex- exhibit hall. I was like, I could not work the fan booth. I could work the heat lamp booth. Um, and actually, so here's the thing. So on load in day, you're in Chicago, it's March they open all the doors to the outside. So you can imagine that inside and outside are the same thing at that point. So you're, just in this, you're basically outside all day, you know, setting things up and you have to use your hands. The best part was the ele- one of the, there was a woman electrician who was helping with the booth. And at some point to fit, she had to squeeze in somewhere and she had to take off her clothes. And she started to take off. It was like a joke out of a comic strip. She took off her pants, and we were like, oh, my God, she's taking off her pants, but there were pants underneath. She took off, you know, her jacket, but there was a jacket underneath. She took off another, you know, the jacket, there was a shirt underneath. She took off that shirt, there was another shirt underneath. She took off another pair of pants, there was yet another pair of pants under that. She took, I mean, it was like, I mean, she was a thin woman, and she did not look bulky in all those clothes, but when she took it all off, you were like, oh, my God, you're an elf, I mean, she was so thin, but, and then she like crawled into this little space, did what she needed to do, came out and then boom, 500 layers back on again. And I was like, well, that's what you had to do if you're essentially working outside all day. Right. Right. Um, but anyway, so there, there were also a lot of celebrity chefs in the area that we were in because everyone has, pans, cookers, uh, various things that plug in different appliances, you know, that they're recommending. So I got to see Emeril Lagasse. I got to see Ming Tsai. There were just a lot of big name people. And if you're really into chefs, there are a bunch of food networky people um, walking around. And the most amazing part is Partially because it's an international crowd. They have cachet, but they don't draw the kinds of crowds that they would draw almost anywhere else. And also because it's a really big show packed with buyers. You know, it's not just super fans. So you can still get like within two or three people of said person that you would like to touch and lick and, you know, eat their food. Um, Don't they
1: give also? There are a lot of samples of the show, right? So many
0: samples of the show. So like, just drinking coffee and espresso and cappuccino all day. Drink hot chocolate, whatever you want. You know, you walk into the Nespresso booth. At first, I was like, I have an exhibitor badge. I'm not going to go in anywhere. And then they were like, No, they like you to go in if you're an exhibitor because you're not a competitor, and they think that you know, if you like Nespresso, you'll buy an espresso machine. And I was like, hmm, it might have worked. Because every time you go by there, they're like, hey, pick a flavor. Yeah, do you know how this works? Throw the pot in there. And then I was like, oh, this is really actually kind of tasty. Maybe I should get an espresso machine. Um, and then, you know, they're giving away food all day long. Would you like some of this? Would you like some of that? Hey, come take this, you know, and then I saw a photo with cotton candy. Oh, yeah. Oh, cotton candy, like popcorn, uh, donuts, cake, cookies, sausage. I mean, you name it. If you can shove it in your pie hole, it was there. So Mm.
1: that was great. Um, Aren't they also giving away like things like cups and spoons? Yes, cups
0: and spoons. I mean, like, so yes, everybody's giving away everything. It is a swag heavy show. And also this is a show with a lot of money. I mean, the craft industry is a big industry, but it don't have the money that these companies have. I mean, some of these booths were million dollar booths.
1: Well, I told you, I noticed that there were a ton of Instagram photos of the gigantic KitchenAid mixer. Yes. You know, 8 billion times life-size people posing around it. Yeah, but that's not even like
0: the million-dollar booth. I mean, there were booths that had an upstairs and a downstairs and an inside, like a house. And things Hmm. that, like, light up and TV monitors. I mean... And like, I mean, it was just, it was one of the more, I mean, I haven't been to a lot of trade shows, I'm going to completely say, but this was probably one of the more impressive trade shows I've ever been to. And just in terms of like, the booths were truly magnificent and amazing. So that was, I mean, they do a lot of business. So the... And didn't you say you had different kind of customer? Yes, I had a very different kind of customer. So... There were some people who were interested in carrying the machine, but I would say for the most part, the people I spoke with were interested in using the machine in their own business. Mm -hmm. Um, So they were interested in... Uh, what it could do to make you know custom t-shirts or uh, you know uh, portfolios or an architectural firm was interested in making uh, models inventors came by who were interested in prototyping there were people who were interested in creating stencils for things. You know, it really, I mean, I will say this, I, I had to reevaluate the scanner cut for a moment and say, oh my gosh, it's actually a small business tool. It should be sold in like staples and office Macs and stuff because it is a tool that will like, a, like a printer, like anything else that would help you grow your business. You know, why pay for a run of a thousand of something When you can just make, when you only actually are going to need, you know, 20 to 25 of something, you can decorate your store windows. You can, a lot of people, um, this guy came in and he said, you know, we have these glass doors in our office. And every time a big client comes in, we put, uh, we order this vinyl with the, you know, their name for the glass door and stuff. Is this something that, that this machine will do? And we were like, oh yeah, of course, you know, anything you you scan in and you can do the client's logo. Exactly. And so they started to think, oh, wow, we don't have to pay a sign company Mm -hmm. to do that and come and install it. We can do it ourselves if we have the machine, you know, and I talked to people who own a pet store and it's like, they're not going to carry the scan Gut to sell it, but they were certainly interested in thinking about how they could, you know, personalized dog bulls, you know, how they could do other things like that, you know, advertising. A couple of marketing firms came around and they started to think about how they could do custom invitations and labels and stickers and stuff. So it made me have to reevaluate my thoughts on the machine. And that was exciting.
1: Okay. And you basically stayed what five days in a hotel you had the whole group there was a little
0: drama yeah so we definitely had a little drama the pallets that had all of the demo supplies and the samples so that stuff that people made did not make it they are lost also
1: not just scan and cut though not Machi- just some cut. Sewing, sewing, machines sewing machine too.
0: stuff too And then the Scan and Cut machines were inadvertently left off the packing list with all the machines that were sent. So in the end, we had to go to Michael's and buy them, which was a little (laughs) bit of a drama too um, because they weren't in stock everywhere. We had to call around and find a Chicago-area store that had them and then finally get – that had two, in fact, and get them. So, so then we were able to get the machines and then, which was actually great. Cause when people came up to the booth and were like, Hey, so like, where would I buy this for my business? I'd be like, well, we bought these at Michael's two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> so you could do that too. Um, Which was really, so in the end, I think the thing is, and it's another reminder. I mean, listen, I don't want this in any way to be an advertisement for the, I know we're talking a lot about the Scan and Cut because that's a lot of what I did on this trip, but I will say like, it just was a reminder to me of what nice people work at Brother because actually there wasn't anybody who started like screaming at other people or yelling at other people or being abusive or mean. Like when all these things happened, everybody was like focused on what can we do? That's good. Yeah. So it just, that made me, I the older I get, the more I am, um, dis, I have a stronger distaste for drama and I have less of a tolerance for working with people who are mean. I think I used to take a lot when I was younger and now it's like, I really only want to work with people who are nice and who are kind and who, you know, are pleasant. I mean, that's a, that's a ridiculous luxury to even be able to say that. And I feel very lucky about it, but it was, it just was really affirming and good. It made me happy that it worked out that way.
1: That's great. Yeah. So do you want to say anything more about the quilt guild? Cause I think you taught a class in the morning too.
0: I did. So, um, my quilt guild quilters connection, I belong to two guilds. Guild is how it is spelled, but not how it is pronounced. Uh, so, the Guild, uh, the Guild, <laughs> you won't forget how to spell it though if you pronounce it Guild. Uh, the Guild that I belong to, um, I belong to Quilters Connection, which is a big, huge sort of. Uh, anybody's welcome to join, by the way. Um, and then I belong to the Boston Modern Quilt Guild, and I'm not even a modern quilter. But it's a younger crowd at that guild. Um, they, however, meet on Saturdays, which is sometimes I'm away a lot. Pardon me, I paid my membership dues, but I haven't made to a single meeting this year yet. I have the hiccups. I'm sorry.
1: Um, Do you want to
0: uh,
1: <laughs> stop the podcast and go get a glass of water, no, or just I believe tough in the it power out
0: of positive thinking? <laughs> Okay, I believe. I believe. Um so I was the Quilters Connection every year does something called the Winter Free Workshop,
1: which I think is a great idea. I think it's a
0: fantastic idea. So what they do is is a day of workshops. So some classes are full day. But most classes are just half a day, morning and half a day, afternoon, and people volunteer to teach. It's completely just, you know, hey, do you have something you want to teach? You don't have to be a teacher. You could just be somebody who learned something and wants to share it. Um, And then there's a big potluck lunch. I took a photo or a video at some point that was of like 10 crock pots lined up in a row. You know, it was really kind of cute. Um, With these, you know, pieces of notebook paper taped to them with what it is and ingredients. And then, of course, the mystery pots, we're just kind of poking at it going, Mm. I don't know what this is. Um, So, oh, and by the way, this totally reminded me of when I taught in France. They ran out of bowls because for some reason I think they (laughs) calculated like one paper bowl per person. But some people wanted to try multiple things, so they took multiple bowls because nobody realized it was one bowl per person. So I actually got one of the last bowls. Um, but the people after me were smart enough to figure out that coffee cups, you know, just paper coffee cups are totally fine bowls. And you saw them walking around with like these little clusters of coffee cups filled with soup and mac and cheese and whatever else was in the crock pots. Um, So it's a fun format. So what they ask is for participants to pay $5. I also gave $5 even though I was teaching and didn't have to because I hadn't brought anything for the potluck. And I thought, you know, the Guild doesn't have a lot of money and what's $5 to me? I'm happy to do it. You're
1: that person who goes to the potluck and doesn't bring a pot. Well, I was
0: teaching for free and and my arm hurts. And yeah, I am that person. Anyway. So then, but when I gave her the $5 and she said, oh, you don't need to, I fessed up and I said, well, I didn't bring anything for the potluck. So you're trying to say your hands are clean? I'm trying to say my hands are clean. Anyway, I was honest about it. So I set up my little class, which was fabric printing and painting. You know, and I, which is not a thing that, most of, a thing Skilk that Skilk most of the people in the guild, people are particularly interested in, and the ones who are interested in it are way deep into it. So they're way past what I was teaching, which was a very intro class. You know, they're into like serious dying and discharge and things that require vats. Um, so I am used to teaching obviously like 20 students, 25 students. So this was a petite class of five. So it felt quite, you know, easy peasy, but they really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed them, um, had fun. You know, it's always fun to see people get excited about things. And basically we took garbage fabric and turned it into something beautiful. So that was great.
1: Are these people who, in general, have never painted their fabric before? A couple of them
0: had painted fabric before. Uh, In fact, one of them used to be the product rep, a salesperson rep for um, maybe Deco Art Paints or something like that. So Hmm. that was interesting. Um, There was a woman who does a lot of, like, there were people there who have done jelly printing. There were, I mean, so it was a little bit of a mixture, but... uh, I think the thing is, they and there was a woman there who doesn't do any quilting. She's like, "Well, these techniques work on paper," and I was like, "Honey, you're talking my language." Yes, all these techniques will work on paper. Um, so it was good. Why was she at a quilt? So thing she belongs to the quilt guild just- for the same reason that I do. I mean, how much quilting do I actually do? I do. A, mm, I do true. some sewing. I have made quilts. I can make quilts, but like. I, I get too impatient sometimes to make a quilt because it looked, the amount of time it takes me to make a quilt is like 10 times what it takes me to make you know a paper project. I'm looking at the little quilt that's hanging behind you right now. I love that quilt. I can make quilts that size all day. It's like eight by 10. Um, well, you make a bunch of them and then you sew them
1: together and then you have a big quilt. Fair point, fair point.
0: The divide and conquer theory. The sum is greater than the parts. I already made a quilt called that actually. Okay, so long story short... Um, so that's the class that I taught in the morning and then I ate my illegal, illicit potluck lunch. And then (laughs) in the afternoon I took this critique class. Um, I belonged to a quilt critique group for about a year while I was in New York and it was fantastic and it pushed me really, really far. And I have long wanted to belong to another one, but, um, I I talked to this woman for a while. Her crit group has been going for almost 30 years. Um, and I said, you know, what's the secret to the success? Because a lot of people try these crit groups, they come, they go. And she was like, you know, the first thing is geography. It sounds stupid, but if you have to drive more than 20 minutes, you, you won't, won't go. go. It'll just fall apart, right? And the second thing in her opinion is she said, she's, you have to make sure that people are in the same, uh, feel the same about sort of sharing, critiquing that you do, you know? And she said, interestingly, what we have discovered over the years is that there we have many of the same values inadvertently. And that's part of the reason that we've gelled. There's only, I think there's five of them. And she basically said, you know, they're all on their first marriages still. They all uh, love libraries. They all – I mean there were like these random things, but you can see how they would make for compatibility. She said, you know, we all – uh, have opinions but are able to be in the background, don't have to be the center of attention, you know. We all – and I was thinking it's it's hard to find groups like that where that can be. And she said, you know, we have had people come and go. There are people who have drifted through for a couple of years here, a couple of years there. You know, we have had people change. But, you know, there's a core group. So I remember when you ran your theater group, mm. your theater company –
1: and you were developing new plays and there would be a reading a public reading of one of these new plays and your the members of your group and the public if they wanted to would sit around afterward and talk about the play um I mean, you had some rules like when you're giving critique the person who wrote the play doesn't respond they just listen
0: Right. And the reason that we, I mean, I have very specific feelings about critique, which are not necessarily totally in line with this woman's. Some of them are. But um, for instance, I personally believe that one of the things that happens in critique, even if you want critique, is you get defensive. It's natural. It's like the way that I walked into the meeting at HSN. You feel like you might be under attack and so you get defensive. And the problem is, if you're allowed to speak, then instead of listening, what you're doing is formulating a response. Okay, So the idea of you not being able to speak until the end was not that we don't want you to say anything. It's just that you need to listen and hear it. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, this is true, unless you can't hear what I'm saying, mom, because you're feeling so defensive, which is... What do you mean by that? Exactly. Uh, You know, it's hard to listen. It's hard to hear things. I mean, I think that... I hope that someday I will sit next to somebody at a guild meeting or at an art class or something and we will gel and I'll be able to say, hey, let's do this crit group thing and find some people. But, I, I mean, the thing is four or five people is really the right amount of people. Right. You know, more mm-hmm, than that, it's mm-hmm. too hard. Smaller than that, there's no point. Anyway, goals. Personal goals. Have, then. I
1: try, mom. Speaking of goals – You've been sort of turning over in your mind this new thing called a bullet journal. Bullet journal. Yes,
0: well, and it's not really a new thing. It's a new to me thing. So Yeah, and it looks like a lot of work to me. So why don't you explain (laughs) it and then say why it might work for you? Okay, so I'm a I'm a storyteller, so let's let's go, kids, on a long story. Once upon a time there was a girl named Julie. And she was working on some segments for season three of Make It Artsy, which is filming in May, uh, for Sakura of America, who makes my beloved, you know, uh, Pigma Microns and Koi watercolors and PermaPig pens. And one of the things they said is, would you do a segment for us on bullet journaling? And instead of acting like a, a jerk who doesn't know what bullet journaling is, I said, oh, of course, I'd be happy to do bullet journaling. And then I immediately went home and Googled it. Um, And then I fell down a rabbit hole of stuff. So here's where the story gets long, okay? I have to tell you a couple things about myself because sharing is caring. The first thing is I am a list maker. Right now, looking at my desk, I have at least 25 different lists on my desk. Looking at the wall, I have a beautifully color-coded whiteboard calendar plus a list under it, uh, plus another piece of paper taped to the wall next to that that has a list. Plus, over on my left side, I can also see another list. Plus, I've got a list in my phone. Plus, i got a list upstairs. I mean, like, I'm a list maker. The second thing is, I'm looking at a box right now that says Everything Books. So, I've talked about this in my Art Journal Every Day post a while ago. When I was in college, I started doing something called the Everything Book. And the Everything Hmm. Book is such a clever name because it describes exactly what it is, which is... I had a notebook and in the notebook I would write diary entries about how I felt. I would write to do lists. I would write phone numbers. I didn't want to lose. I would write random thoughts. I would doodle. I would write events not to forget. And then when the book was full, I would start the everything book. Number two, the everything book, number 27, um, whatever it was, but it was like, it was my everything book. Um, The bullet journal to me is a more organized and sophisticated version of the everything book. So it is a method that was started by a man whose name I cannot remember.
1: I'm assuming it wasn't Mr. Bullet. It was
0: not. His name is not Mr. Bullet. And I think he's like he's a kid. Like he's like 20 something Um, because he started it in school. Because I think that's a logical place that you start this kind of thing. And basically, it's a beautifully uh, flexible way of organizing yourself and all of these sort of everythings that we have. So if you want to track your fitness and keep a list of, you know, we all like how I have a list in my phone called books to read, which are books people have recommended to me. Right. I also have a list next to my bed of books to read because it's like, I hear it on a podcast or someone says it and I write it down on that piece of paper. I also have a list, you know, of books to read of like, let's just like in my brain that I keep like forgetting and I'll see the book and then I'll get it. But then it sits on the shelf and I can't remember that I have it. And then I've actually bought it a second time because I'm that dumb. Anyway. But if you had a bullet journal with a page in it that's just had books to read, it would be a centralized location. So that's the whole idea behind it is just that you have a central location for all these random things that you're keeping track of, whether it's how you're doing in your savings, keeping track of whether you exercise today, did you take your medicine You know, along with being able to say things like, you know, you want to do a journal entry about the most amazing date ever that you just had, or, you know, you just want to make a note that you got an A on your paper and remember that on this particular day and you don't quite know where to put it. So then there's some like, I mean, this is where my eyes roll a little bit into the back of my head, but I'm going to try to have a good attitude about it. By the way, have you noticed how much of this podcast is about the bad attitude that I have? That's generally a common occurrence. (laughs) I wonder if maybe the title of this podcast should be Julie's Bad Attitude. Um, Well, actually, if you're aware of it, then it's not such a bad attitude. There you go. I got a badass attitude, man. That's a different thing. (laughs) Okay, so uh, what was I talking about? I've now lost my train of thought completely. About the. The
1: bullet journaling and how you, uh, oh God, i know. You lost your shampoo too. To it. it
0: was so fascinating. Let's start over again. So here's the thing. It, as somebody described it in an oh, article. things that were so
1: complicated that you, your eyes were rolling oh, in the back of your head. Oh, this is the
0: eyes were rolling in the back of the head, which is they're talking about how um, one of the things about the bullet journal that I really like and appreciate as a human being who leaves a lot of tasks open is one of those important parts is that basically at the end of each month, you kind of close out the month. And what that means is you look through that month in your bullet journal and you find any tasks or to-dos or things that you haven't done and you migrate them into the next month. But if you feel like it's not worth the effort to migrate them, then it's probably not important that it gets done. And similarly, Hmm. if you discover that you have now migrated the same task four months in a row, perhaps it is time to evaluate – whether you actually want to or should do that. And I really like that idea of sort of a month-by-month closeout where you kind of evaluate how that's working and whether that really should be shifted. Because one of the nice and terrible things about computerized systems is they'll do that work for you and just carry the list you know, mm-hmm. onward. But that manual need to do it does force you to think about it. And it reminds me a little bit of how... Um, When I, you know, I have a box in my craft room that's called, if I'm too lazy to put it away, it goes in the donate box. It doesn't actually say that on the box. I just know what that is. But that's the way it works. Mm -hmm. If it's not worth it to me to put it away, then it's not worth it to me to have it. And I should just put it in the donate box and send it to someone who will love it. Okay. So that makes me think that that sort of migration process could be really interesting so now here's the thing about bullet journaling which like project life like art journaling is full of people who make your life look like a sad misery and your artistic skill look like crap and your efforts look like a five-year-old child so once again you have the choice whether to be jealous of everyone else's ability to do everything better than you neater than you nicer than you or to say screw it I'm going to do this so that it's useful to me. You know, if it looks pretty, that's a separate issue, right? So, obviously, okay. for the stuff that I'm doing for the for Make It Artsy, it needs to look pretty because that's the point of it. But if I decide to take this on for myself, which I kind of think I'm about to fall down this hole because I might have ordered some notebooks tonight. I'm not saying I did, but ah. I might have. Uh, then I think we're talking about practicality more than um, – Prettiness, because the thing is, and you need a—it yeah. can't take over your life. I was just
1: gonna say, do you need a million colored
0: pens? See, and, I, I think. See, I'm, that's the thing, which is like you look at some of the pictures. You have to buy a lot of stuff for no, it. No, no, it just no, no, like no, not, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yet nine, nah. Which is to say, <laughs> see, all my—I'm such a linguist. Um, that, was, that was really impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And I also, by the way, in sign language, said no. You just couldn't see it. Um, so I, uh, I think that, I think you don't need anything other than a notebook and a pen. Really. If you have a, a notebook and a pen, you're fine. All the other stuff is like anything. If you want to use stamps, you can. If you want to use colored pens, you can. If you want to use tapes and stickers and washi tape, you can. If you want to, but there's literally nothing other than the notebook that you, and the pen that you actually need. And they actually have, I followed a hashtag on Instagram for a lot longer time than I probably should have wasted on it. That was about like simple, clean bullet journaling that isn't about like, you know, making it pretty and fancy and all that kind of stuff. Because I don't understand the point of that. But, you know, this is related to the fact that you may recall that at the sort of in December-ish, I was thinking of, of starting a planner. Because I love, I, I missed my paper planner and I loved the way the planners looked. And then I said it was too big and bulky and too much work. So the bullet journal is kind of a compromise in that it has some of the elements of a planner, you know? It's like a planner to-do list mm-hmm. thing, but it's like a small book that you can take in your purse, you know, take with you. It has some elements of the diary. It has some elements of whatever. Uh, I think for me, I'm thinking that it's probably worth a concept that's worth exploring. Somebody put it to me this way, and I like this a lot, which is they uh, – and I'm not saying it's somebody in person. I mean I read this on the interweb, so here you go. They said the bullet journal is like a potato. So here's why that's hmm. important which is a potato is enormously versatile. It can be French fries. It can be potato chips. It can be mashed potato. It can be, you know, uh, uh, potato wedges. It can be like, it's just, it's a versatile vegetable. And so there is no, like, this is the way to bullet journal. There are multiple, multiple choices in how you do it. And I think the trick to any of these things, art journaling, scrapbooking, you know, uh, bullet journaling, project life, whatever it is, is you have to not let yourself be subsumed by shoulds and by Mm -hmm. what other people do. And I mean, the same is true of blogging. The same thing is true of, you know, all that stuff is you have to just do what feels natural to you. I mean, I have to personally laugh a little bit. Because there are all these people's Bujos, as they're called if you're, like, cool and talking in the cool short language. Yeah, I mean, which, of course, makes me laugh because it makes me think of Cujo the dog. And it also makes me want to say, like, do you have Bujo Mojo? Anyway, (laughs) you can name your twins Bujo and Mojo. Uh, Anyway. You could sell a kit that's a notebook and a pen and call it your bullet journaling kit. It's true. Uh, And they do. Um, but anyway, uh, I can't remember the Bujo Mojo has me so amused that I can't even get past that. Um, I think the thing is what I was going to say is that the, the, Bujo is really flexible in terms of being a tool. And I think if it's not, doesn't, the whole point of it is to help you with your time management, to help you be organized. And if it's making your life crazy or being a burden, I think you need to deep sex it. Um, the guy. I think that was an important
1: point where you said, um, "Don't be bound by other people's expectations." Yes. I actually had this talk today with a friend whose daughter is getting married in June, and I said, "And they—they're trying very hard to keep the wedding small and not go crazy." And I said, "One of the most important things with that, and it's this is where it applies." Don't do the things that you guys don't want to do just because people expect it. If you don't like wedding cake, don't have a wedding cake. You know, if you don't like uh, champagne, don't have champagne. Just do the things that you want to have, and because and, it's your wedding, and similarly, this is your bujo.
0: Yeah. Just do
1: the things that you want in the way that works for you.
0: I think so. And the funny thing is ever since I started looking at all these things online and thinking about it, I have found a million times today where I've been like, oh, if I had my Bujo, that would just be in there. Oh, if I had my Bujo, then it would just be in there. Oh, if I had my Bujo, I would have had it written down by now. You know, and that to me is the beginning of a mindset that says this might be a good fit for me. It might be a terrible fit for me, but it might be a good fit. But I figure I need to create samples for the show anyway. So I'm going to give it a try for a month. You know, it may be a total disaster. and I'll be like, well, the great Bujo adventure that Bujoed itself out of me. (laughs) it is a funny word Bujo is done I know Yeah. (laughs) Bujo has left the building Um, (laughs) but yeah or it may be a good thing to add into my miscellaneous repertoire of stuff so we'll see I don't know but I'm intrigued I'm excited I might have ordered a notebook I'm kind of or two actually I might have but I'm not saying anything and i might have ordered a mini ruler because it was cute
1: you like anything mini we all know that everybody
0: likes anything mini come on (laughs) everybody likes mini things so yeah so i'm excited about that i will be sure to share the good the bad and the certainly ugly
1: thank you do you want to talk about your new online class
0: Sure. So I've been madly working on this new online class. In fact, Mom, I, I think I, I talked through some ideas with you because I've been thinking a lot about... Um you know, the mechanics of the design, so the class, I guess I should backtrack, the class is about designing stamps that pattern. And the mechanics of designing the stamps is really easy to teach. You know, that's like, if this point matches that point, then they'll line up. If this point matches that point, then they'll line up, you know, like that stuff is not a problem. But the thing is, I want the class to be better than that. I'm trying to elevate it beyond mechanics into really thought process. And so I know mm-hmm. I talked to you and actually we worked out in the car while we were driving to the Marlboro Paradise City Crafts Fair. Uh, we worked out some stuff that I've been working on, which is that um, like, for instance, I know when I create a quarter repeat, I understand what's going to happen when that quarter piece becomes four in my brain, just because I've experienced and I, I like, I get it. And I kept thinking, but how do you teach somebody that? And so we worked out a whole method that I'm really excited about with like paper cutting and stuff to get people to understand how those shapes, you know, pare down into the various shapes and forms that they do. So um, it sounds kind of complicated like that, but the video makes it really clear. And I think people are going to love it and create amazing things and maybe change the the way that they think.
1: The important caveat is you have to already know how to carve a stamp.
0: Oh, yeah. There's no – I don't teach any actual carving in the – um, class I teach it's all about design, and then I give some tips on stuff because people always ask about that. But it, the thing is, I mean, sorry, I give some tips on carving. But the thing is, almost everything that uh, you'd need to know to carve any pattern stamp I teach in my Stamp Carving 101 class, like how to cut little tiny lines, how to cut tiny little dash marks, how to cut you know fine lines, like all that stuff, curves, points, that's all covered there. And so you don't have to have taken my Stamp Carving 101 class, but I'm just if you want to, I there's a bundle where you can buy it for uh 25 bucks, you know, when you buy the other class, and then you will know everything you need to know about stamp carving to do it. No, this this class is definitely a big picture thinking. Let's design things. And the thing that I think is exciting is while the class is specifically obviously about designing stamps. All of this design, you know, if you're interested in designing patterns for fabric, if you're interested, you know, in designing stencils, if you're interested in divi- designing any kind of product or anything, all these techniques for design and how to think about it work for all of those different things. You know, it's not just stamp specific, even though that's the area in which we're focusing.
1: So this class goes online March 31st. Am,
0: Friday? am I right?
1: Yes. Yeah. Great. I'm excited. And you're now exploring for the first time possibility of teaching a class in
0: Watertown. Yes, so I'm, I'm delivering my deposit to the space tomorrow uh, and I'm excited about it. So I, I have wanted to do kind of mini retreats for a while. And so this is, this is not a mini retreat. This is just a two day class. I mean, it is an awesome mini retreat, but it's not like, you know, mini retreats are more like having dinner and doing sharing and like blah, blah, blah. But I wanted to first test this space out to make sure that it was going to work. I think it's going to be fantastic. So I'm excited about that. Um, but the thing is the I also had gotten a lot of requests. There's this one class that I only teach in person that I don't teach online, um, which is – it's this binding technique, which is technically called tape binding, which is where the ribbons – you bind a book with ribbons and the ribbons show on the cover. Of your journal, and I get asked about it a lot, and I try very hard to make my online and my in-person classes enormously different. So this class, this is what this class is: is that in-person class that I only teach in person. It has a couple techniques beyond the ribbon binding that I only teach in person, because I always want there to be value when you take the time to, you know, show up in person. So I'm excited for that. I think people are going to love it. I think the space is going to be fantastic. I think it allows me to have some, uh, something that's closer to home. Uh, I did a little bit of research. The space is, uh, a eight minute drive from a brand new Marriott that just opened. And in fact, a 12 minute bus ride from that Marriott. So it makes it very convenient for anybody who's coming from out of town. Um, I think it's gonna be really good. Fingers crossed. So you're also, besides the binding, the thing that you're going to be binding is your
1: is yeah. papers that you Yeah, you're made. making
0: a junk journal, essentially. You're making a really cool junk journal, and then you're binding it using this method. And then I've switched the class up a little bit so that we actually have time the second day to work in the journal. Because I always get questions from people about how to work in junk pages. What do you do to both highlight and disguise you know, what you're working on top of? So we're going to spend at least half a day doing that kind of stuff. So I think it's going to be awesome. Alrighty. Yeah, lots of new adventures coming down the road. I'm also going to start. I have a new class that I'm taking, starting. Does it start on Monday? Not. It not might tomorrow start on Monday, but like the beginning of April, Monday. I think it does at the uh, MFA Museum of Fine yes, Arts. The Museum of Fine Arts. I'm taking an acrylic painting class. It's uh, from like 10 a.m. or something till 3:45 or 3:15 every Monday. So that's going to be intense and interesting. I'm kind of curious. It didn't say there's a break for lunch, so I don't know if you just don't eat or maybe you just eat breakfast and wait until 345 to eat lunch. I'm sure that you have to stop and eat. But do you buy it at the museum or do you bring your lunch? Is there a refrigerator? There's so many questions I don't know and they have not provided a lot of information. I know that lunch is not the most important thing. I am aware of that. And yet that is the only thing that I'm curious about
1: we all have our personal interests
0: we all have our priorities and <laughs> mine is lunch I'm just saying I like lunch um yeah so I'm excited
1: so that's what's coming up I think that's the end of the podcast So, Julie, do you have anything else to tell us? Well,
0: Mom, uh, no, I don't have anything else to say except that uh, this was a long, tough week after getting back and I had a good time. And thanks for being my mom and everybody who's mom that who you're not their mom should be jealous. That's all. There you go. So as always, you can find me at ballsdesigns.typead.com and do leave us your comments or questions at ballsdesigns.com slash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound artingpodcast. That's A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast.